I am curious, how many of you, when you were young, gave a present? Maybe it was a Christmas present, maybe it was an end of the year present, to your elementary school teacher. Did anybody out there do that? So, so if you are a, a parent right now, did you or do you have your kids give presents to their elementary school teachers? I mean, is that still a thing? So I don't know how common this practice was, but where and when I grew up, well, that's what we did. Or at least that's what my family did. And I remember this so clearly. One year my mom took a decorative glass jar and put treats inside, which was the gift I was supposed to give to my elementary school teacher. I mean, this was important. She told me not to forget to bring it, and I said I, I wouldn't. I, and I put the, the glass jar in my bag. Now, at that point in my life, I lived close enough to school that I was able to walk. It was a December morning, and as I headed out that morning at the end of the driveway, I slipped and I fell on some ice, and the gift broke. I mean, it, it, it shattered in my bag. Now, I'm in elementary school. At that age, what would you do? Would you cry? Would you go back in the house and tell your mom what happened? Would you give your teacher the treats without the jar or with the shards of glass? I'm, what would you do? Well, if you were me, you would go to the decorative hedge, the evergreen bushes in the front of the house, and you would dump all the evidence, the broken glass, the treats in the bush, making sure that no one could see them. You would then go to school and lie to your mom, telling her that Mrs. So-and-so loved the present. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a true story. Also, as a side note, my, my secret was discovered 15 years later when my parents were removing the hedges. They found the glass pieces and asked me about it, so, so I finally came clean. I mean, it, it was funny then. So, what you should be asking yourself right now is why did I do that? Of all the different possible responses of all the things that I could have done, probably should have done, why did I do that? Well, it's because of the narrative, the story that I had running in my head. I was telling myself, oh my gosh, I can't believe you broke that gift. You're going to get in trouble. Mom spent time putting this together. It was important. You broke it? I mean, maybe if nobody knows about it. Maybe, if I can hide it well enough, well, I can avoid any negative outcomes. So, I know I have a few things that I repeat over and over and over again, and if you've been around long enough at Bethlehem, you probably know them. Uh, th I think my most frequently used line is, the stories we tell ourselves matter because they shape the way that we see ourselves, others, and the world. And this absolutely is true. Stories are powerful. I told you an example of how the story, the narrative in my head as a kid shaped what I did with that broken gift, but I'll give you a few other examples. So the story of your particular political party absolutely shapes the way that you see how our country should function and how right or wrong your fellow citizens are. 
you have a particular narrative in your head about how to understand wealth that is often constructed from your past experience of either having money or not. So much of how we make sense of the world comes to us in narratives, in the stories that we are told and the, the stories that are told to us in the past, the ones that we continue to tell to ourselves in the present. So this is why it is absolutely important as people of faith to connect the story of our faith to the story of our life. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Today we have a reading that focuses on Noah, a story that many of you have heard before, especially if you attended any kind of Sunday school growing up. So if, if I were to take a stab at what you heard about this story when you were young, it probably went something like this. Once upon a time, there were many bad people in the world, but Noah was good. God was upset with all the bad people in the world, but not Noah, because Noah was good. So God told Noah, build a big boat, and Noah did what God said, because Noah was good. After Noah built his big boat, two of every kind of animal came and got on the boat. The rains came, there was a big flood, but Noah and the animals had a great time together, and soon it was all over, and the animals got off the boat, and so did Noah and his family, and God told Noah that God would never do that again by putting a rainbow in the sky, and Noah was very happy. The end. Oh, and here's a smiling picture of Noah and a rainbow, so please color it in, right? <laughs> when you were a kid at a young age, this is, is how the story is often presented. But I have to ask you, is that still where the story is for you? Does the story of Noah connect to your life in a profound way to actually help you see differently, to actually help you live life more fully? So several years ago now, actually it might be more than a, a several years ago, quite a few years ago I think, I, I was with a group of kids and I read the story of Noah to them without showing any smiling pictures. <laughs> and, and then I asked them this question, I asked them if this was a happy story or a sad story. And all of them said, well, this is a sad story. 
And I asked them why, why is it a sad story? And they said, well, it's a sad story because a lot of people died. And then they asked, why did God kill everyone? Yeah, I mean, kids are smart. So what I have found is that questions like this that start at a young age just get more pronounced as we get older to the point where people who grew up in communities of faith that are now teenagers or young adults or even older adults say these stories don't work for them. They don't mean anything. After all, in the classic children's story of Noah and the Ark, did God just commit what we would call genocide? I mean, are you okay with that? Again, does this story profoundly shape your life? What are you supposed to get out of it? So there is great opportunity to reclaim the stories that we often encounter as children and hear them again as adults in new ways. This is a story told by ancient Israel, not as a history lesson, but as a theological lesson. It's the community's understanding of God that is so interesting in this story. And often when it comes to the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible stories, listening to Jewish voices can really help to grasp the depth of the story. So, Mary Brett Copeland, a rabbinical student, is quick to point out that this story, Noah's story, begins with God who is in deep sadness and utterly grieving. Things have gone terribly wrong with the world. It was supposed to be good, and it's not turning out to be that way, and God is absolutely heartbroken. Mary goes on to write that this realization of God's sadness does not make this story any easier. The scale of violence required to annihilate everything is unfathomable. Acknowledging that God is both parent to all and destroyer of all is what makes Noah so painful. His pain is hard to live with, so we try to sanitize our text. I mean, today when we read the story of Noah, we dehumanize the other humans of Noah's generation. We blame Noah for not protesting. We morph these words into a children's story. We decorate nurseries with rainbows and animals in pairs of two. We do everything that we possibly can to avoid the horror that is this story. And yet if we can resist our urge to pretty up a devastating narrative, we can come a little bit closer to knowing God's grief through our own heartbreak. Man, I really like that take on the story. When the ark is built and the animals accounted for, God seals up Noah and his family. Then God recedes from the story. While the floodgates of the sky break open, while the springs of the earth burst forth, while the rains last for 40 days, while the ark floats for a full year with no sign of life, God is nowhere to be found in the story. And again, a word from, from Mary, the rabbinical student. The Torah does not explain God's absence during the year the whole world drowned. But our text's attention to God's grief and regret offers a possible insight. God's sadness was so great that God had to step away as the earth was consumed, not by rage or divine retribution, but by God's own intolerable grief. This intolerable grief and divine absence is not how the story ends, though. 
from the depths of the water and the depths of despair, from, from near annihilation of everything, God comes back to us. By coming back, God resolves to never end the world again and enters into a specific covenantal relationship with human beings. By coming back, God demonstrates to us that coming back is possible. So, how does this story connect with our life? Have you ever messed up? I mean, have you really messed up? Have you ever lost it to the point where you believed that the relationship you had with your kids, your spouse, your parents, your friend, your neighbor, even the relationship you had with yourself was so far gone, so far destroyed that nothing could bring it back? Have you ever acted rashly to cut yourself off from another before they could hurt you? Have you ever regretted a decision, an action, a word you uttered in frustration, anger, or grief that tore someone else down, that shattered them, that broke them? I mean, if you have no idea what I am talking about, you will, because that's what it means to be human. That is what we do to each other. And when this happens, what story will you tell yourself? What story will help guide you through this? What story will you tell? Oh, by the way, have you heard the story of Noah, which is really a story about God, which is really a story about us? If we are able to access God's grief through our own heartbreak, we open ourselves up to the profound possibility of transformation. When we witness God almost give up on everything, we see the power of persisting when there is no reason to hope. We see that there is a second chance. It is easy to permanently disengage from the horrors of the world, from broken relationships, and I think this is especially true right now. It is easy to get consumed with stories in our world, in our politics, in our environment, in our family that leave us with very little hope, very little to hold on to, leave us with very little to be optimistic about. But the story of our faith the story of Noah urges us in a different direction. The story of our faith does not make us naive or overly optimistic, but it does give us hope to keep going, to keep working, to keep addressing the issues in our world in ways that are gracious and kind. It teaches us to keep coming back to the people that we hurt. It teaches us to ask for forgiveness. It is about restoration. I mean, through the story of Noah, God teaches us, above all, the significance of resilience through relationship. God shows us that it is possible to come back again from paralyzing despair, again and again and again. Is this the story of Noah that you know? Is this a story that you tell yourself on a regular basis? Do you believe it? Jesus, the rabbi, lives into this story and teaches his disciples to do the same. We still live the story out today, and it is the good news that we hear right now for us. And that is life-giving. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.
as a way of going deeper into the story of our faith and applying it more directly to your life, here are a couple of reflection questions that can aid you in that as you have conversation with a partner or simply think about this yourself. Question number one, what kind of stories are you telling yourself at this point in your life about your kids, your family, your community, your country, the world, etc.? Do the stories you tell yourself lead to hope? Think about that. And question number two, how prominent is the story of our faith in your life? Is it a narrative that shapes your life?